freedom, man. That's what it's all about. You've got to groove on freedom, like the good book says. listening to what on earth is happening this show will discuss the topics of human consciousness mind control natural law the occult and all issues that affect the freedom of the people of earth what on earth is happening will endeavor to shine light upon the darkness of our world and to offer empowering solutions to the problems we face as humanity approaches it's critical moment of choice. And now, here is your host, Mark Passio. Welcome one and all. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on the Oracle Broadcasting Radio Network. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website is whatonearthishappening.com. This show is live every Sunday from 5 to 7 p.m. East Coast time. That's 4 to 6 p.m. Central. We have a great show lined up for you here today. We're going to be continuing our solutions section on how to change human consciousness for the better and get out of the situation that humanity has been trapped in for eons of time. And we're going to be continuing to look uh, at the non-support of dominators, why it is so important not to have respect for the dominators of our world, not to have respect for authority at all, to recognize authority as illusion, to recognize government as illusion, okay, to recognize physical power over others and the desire for it as illusion that only leads to suffering and chaos in our world. So this section is one of the most critical Uh, in the solutions section. We've been covering it for many weeks and will continue to do so for several more weeks. Today on the show, I am going to be getting into the cycle of abuse and victimization, or what has traditionally been called in the world of psychology simply the cycle of violence, because that's what this is all about, violence. People doing actions that they have no right under natural law to take that do, in fact, cause harm to other people. So today on the show, we're going to look at trauma, bullying, and the cycle of victim and abuse, okay? That's coming up on the show. I have a couple of quick event announcements that I'd like to read. Uh, The Truth, Freedom, Prosperity Documentary Night will be taking place at its new venue and new time this Thursday, May 31st at Essene Market and Cafe here in Philadelphia. That's at 719 South 4th Street. It will begin promptly, sharply at 6.30 p.m. because we are on a limited um, time schedule at Essene. We have to leave the store when it closes at 9 p.m. So 
uh, 6.30 p.m. sharp start time for those who will be attending arrive a little bit early to get a seat and we will be screening the new Max Egan documentary called Transformation, a great film that really analyzes the problem and proposes great solutions. So we'll be screening that this Thursday at Essene Market and Cafe. I will be appearing on Two Guys, One Girl, interviewed by Franco Huard on Monday, May 28th. That's tomorrow. Tomorrow night. Welcome back, everyone. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. I have a couple other quick event announcements. I talked about the Truth, Freedom, Prosperity documentary night and the fact that I'll be on Two Guys, One Girl tomorrow out of uh, Montreal, Quebec, Canada, Radio H2O.ca. That's tomorrow evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, Looking forward to that interview. And... um, Something I want to let people know about is the status of the Tesla Science Foundation's um, Tesla Conference for this summer, the Nikola Tesla Energy Independence Celebrations. Uh, People have been asking me about this, and I have not had much information to tell them until recently because there was kind of a... um, uh, sort of a conundrum and uh, a near disaster, but it looks to be averted. we lost our event space for the scientific conference recently. So um, we usually have it at Liberty 2 place here in Philadelphia. Uh, we usually have the entire second floor reserved for the science conference portion of the event. However, that space will not be available to us this year or probably not any uh, year in the future, unfortunately. Uh, I won't get into why that is, but... Um, that building is no longer of um, availability to the Tesla Science Foundation. So we have been talking with Ruba Hall, which was the um, location of the Free Your Mind conference in 2011. And uh, I will be having an announcement about a potential Free Your Mind 2 coming up next year here in Philadelphia. But uh, to go back to the Tesla conference information, uh, we are talking to Ruba Hall and it looks like this is the potential location for the uh, Tesla Energy Independence Celebrations for this year. It is not confirmed yet. We are working out uh, you know, details and logistics, but I will have an event uh, announcement for this within a week. So uh, I will probably know for sure by the end of this week uh, the, the um, uh, event location, and then we'll begin announcing uh, further details. So that's uh, a quick update about the Tesla conference for this 
summer. It will be taking place July 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th with the main events taking place on the weekend of the uh, 7th and 8th, the science conference being that weekend. And um, there will be some Tesla birthday celebration style events on uh, the 9th and the 10th. So I'll have more details in the next week or possibly two. Um, lastly, the ad-free sponsorship offer for this show to make the show go commercial-free is still on the table. Uh, I started this offer because people had endlessly complained about the commercials, uh, not just the fact that there are commercials on the show, but the frequency of them. Uh, this was explained uh, many times about you know, the, the, the necessity for this being bandwidth costs for the network. And I decided to think outside the box a little bit, try to come up with a way to uh, rid the commercials, get rid of the commercials for the show if there was still the support for the network, obviously. So I um, put out the offer that if people wanted the show to go commercial free, uh, that they would put, have to put their money where their mouth was and get in touch with the network to find out what the costs of that, those commercial spots would be. It's quite reasonable, actually, maybe not for one person to plunk down all at once, but it is not even in the uh, uh, $2,000 range. It's under, under that, okay? So I'll, I'll just give you the approximate figure, okay? It's, it's even under, it's between $1,000 and $1,500. So this is not a gigantic sum of money to do this for a three-month period of time. That's what the network worked out that someone would have to sponsor that for a three-month period of time in order for them to change their programming, okay? So um, if we get a bunch of chip-ins for this, maybe we can make it happen. If someone can't put down that much, you know, initially, um, maybe I could set up a fund on the website to have a chip-in to re reach that amount, and then, you know, I'll give that to the network after, you know, it's... Um, um, donated and maybe we can make it happen like that you know with a, a group effort um, if anyone is interested in doing this on their own get in touch with me mark at what on earth is happening dot com or perhaps in the next week or so if I don't see any further interest I will um, uh, decide to go forward with a possible chip-in effort on the website itself that being said uh, once this three-month initial period is over, okay, uh, I believe the network will possibly work a month at a time. I'm not quite sure of that, but you know, once the main programming style of the show is changed, perhaps they'll do a one-month-at-a-time thing, and it will be less expensive for an individual to sponsor for a month. So that's the update on the ad-free sponsorship offer. It is still open. No one has officially taken uh, it up. So um, if anyone is interested, get in touch with me, mark at whatonearthishappening.com. And if I don't see any individuals um, coming through with, you know, wanting to actually go forward with this, then again, perhaps we'll do a chip-in effort and try to make it happen that way. So those are the event announcements. Let's start looking at the material for today. And as always, you can go to the What on Earth is Happening webpage, whatonearthishappening.com, and 
you can, underneath the player on the radio show page, you can click on the links where it says images for today's show. These are numeric links. They will bring up images that act as a slideshow to go along with the topic of um, conversation for today, which is the non-support of dominators. Once again, this is part of my solutions section. Image one shows what this entire section of solutions, I've called it the way out. It is the way out of the degraded form of consciousness in which humanity currently finds itself as a species. And the actual grassroots solutions are listed in slide number two. We have gone through all of the ones on the left-hand side, and now we are beginning with the right-hand column, non-supportive dominators. We've actually covered the development of mindfulness, so that is also one that has already been covered on the right-hand column there. Image three shows a um, allegorical, sim symbolic image that, to represent this concept, the non-supportive dominators, um, and you're looking at stormtroopers from the allegorical film Star Wars because that's what dominators are, people who are actually dis have destroyed their own sense of selfhood, individuality. They have gone into groupthink or collectivist mindset, and they operate basically as a hive mind in order to destroy human freedom. That's what the dominator culture, the entire dominator mindset is all about. Destruction itself and all Okay, folks, we're back. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Over the last several weeks, we've really taken a deep look at conscience and the exercise of conscience. And I would dare to say that uh, these have been quite effective shows because um, according to the listener feedback that I've been getting, it, it seems that many people really are appreciating um, how in-depth I've been going on these topics and they're coming away with some additional understanding that they had not gleaned previously perhaps in their own study or just you know in uh, looking at these topics on their own <clears throat> so that's pretty encouraging and I think it's very important for that to be taking place when it comes to this topic in particular because that's what this is all about is really the true birth of conscience within the individual and the de-identification from a collectivist mind state that ultimately has no conscience there is no exercise, true exercise of conscience in a group setting groups don't have conscience individuals have conscience. 
That's why one of the topics we'll be getting into over the next uh, couple of weeks, probably in two weeks or so, will be the abandonment of selfhood. The abandonment of selfhood itself, giving away one's own individuality to the group mind, to the, the hive, if you will. And we'll be looking at uh, that in relation to some allegorical films in a similar way that we looked at apothesis allegorically when it came to some movies that contain that concept and actually express it quite brilliantly, we'll be looking at um, group hive mentality and how this completely takes over the individual and gets them to abandon their own individuality and selfhood to the group. It's a very important dynamic for the dominator culture to have in place if, they're, if they want to be effective in taking over the individual and therefore taking over the society. So with that having been said, let's uh, go to a couple of quick review topics and then we'll jump into the topic for today which is the cycle of violence and abuse. What we're trying to get to is the why behind everything. Why do dominators act the way that they do? If you're going to change their behavior, if you're going to change any negative behavior, whether it's a, a, about yourself and what you do on a daily basis, or whether you want to look at someone else's poor behavior that you know that they should not be engaged in, you need to ultimately understand why that behavior has become present. Why is this individual in the condition that they are in and so behaving such as they are? Without that understanding, without the understanding of why that situation is the way that it is, if you do not have that knowledge in hand, you are powerless to change the active manifested reality that is currently taking place. So people will say, well, it's, you know, it's not my job to know about what's going on in someone else's mind. Well, if you want to affect change in the outer world, that is your job. That must become your job. You need to understand their psychological state of mind. You need to understand their motivations. You need to understand the conditions that led their mind into the state that it currently is now. Why are they behaving the way that they are behaving? And if you want them to change, you need to ultimately get them to understand why they are like that. Now that will work for a large percentage of people if this work is done. There is a tiny, small percentage, probably around 1%, that no amount of understanding, no amount of coaxing, no amount of educating, even in the true sense of education, will be able to create a change in them because they are primary psychopaths. And we are setting aside that tiny anomaly, okay? Because if you were to affect the people that are not actual genetic or primary psychopaths, okay? you would change the vast majority 
and you would have you would have this tiny seed of psychopathy perhaps left in the world okay but it would be easily mitigated it would be easily kept in check by the vast majority who was operating in conscience unfortunately we have a psychopathic society at large the vast numbers of people are in some state of psychopathy whether it be primary or secondary the vast numbers of people are actually in a low-level state of secondary psychopathy they don't care that's why the situation regarding freedom and regarding the chaotic and disorderly state of our world that's why it continues to to go the way it has been going because not enough people have turned on the generative principle in order to change the manifested result this goes hand in hand with the understanding of the two basic planes of reality planes p l a n e okay meaning like a dimension if you will and without this understanding in, in hand don't expect that external reality to change don't expect to be able to reach people on a wide level because all you would be doing is treating the symptoms just like conventional medical science does now they don't look for the the true cure they look for treatment of the symptom so that you'll keep going back to them they don't want to cure anything really that would be them being out of business if they did that and that's why there's so many charlatans and fraudsters in the in the new age movement in the even the alternative media community they they want the problem to continue so they're still in the spotlight or in the limelight or in you know uh making money they're not they don't have the key in hand which is the understanding of why certain mind states are present they're not operating on the plane of causality depicted here in image number 4 on the radio show web page website or with the podcast this is podcast number 109 if you're looking at the effects if you're looking at the manifested results of a cause okay if you're looking at the symptoms you are powerless to affect change that is not where change is affected from you have to rise up in your understanding rise up in your level of consciousness in order to understand how that condition came about why is that symptom present why is this condition the way things currently happen to be without the why there is no power and therefore there's no ability to create positive or lasting change you would be spinning your wheels going around in a cycle which is what we're going to talk about today we'll be right back ladies and gentlemen you're listening to what on earth is happening here on oracle broadcasting don't go anywhere sleep stay asleep obey 
When he looks at it with his eyes, it's what we see. When he looks at it with sunglasses, he's seeing the same things all the way through. The subliminal symbolically you couldn't see. Obey, no independent thought, no think of yourself. Welcome back, everyone. This is What on Earth is Happening. Let's jump right back into our subject material. We were talking about where a problem is ever solved from. A problem, no matter what it is, is never solved from the level of effects. Once something has already manifested itself, you're not going to solve that. You have to understand why that happened the way that it did, and then solve the problem from that level. That's where a solution gets implemented from, the plane of causality. What caused this? What was the cause that set this situation into motion? We need to look at the why that underlies and precedes the manifested reality. That's where all the power to affect that change that we are seeking lies. None of the power lies in the plane of effects. So that's something we talked about for the last several weeks. And the last couple of weeks we looked into a topic that always sets off a great um, amount of debate, but I'm I'm happy to see that more people agreed with my statement, not my, and I'm not going to call it my opinion on the matter, on my statement that when we look at the question of who is more morally culpable, okay, I understand both. Um, groups of people in this dynamic are morally culpable, but that's not what the question is. See, people have a hard time hearing what's actually asked. A question gets asked, and they hear what they want to hear as opposed to the real question that has been, been asked. And the question posed over the last couple of weeks was, who is more morally culpable. Maybe I should take this slide down in the slides and um, take it back into my editor and underline the word, maybe make the word more red and, and underline it like six times. And then maybe people will hear the question properly when they read it in their mind. Maybe that's what needs to be done. People need visual cueing like that. Okay. The question is, who is more morally culpable, the order giver or the order follower? And I've made the statement over the last couple of weeks that there is a correct answer. This isn't a trick question. It's not a matter of opinion. There is a correct answer to this question. And the correct answer is the order follower is always, always more morally culpable because he is the individual that is performing the action, actually doing the thing that is commanded by the order giver. The person who takes the action bodily in the physical world to make the request or the order, however you want to look at it, a manifested reality 
and put it into the plane of effects to allow it to manifest itself. Whereas if they were not to have done that action, it could not have manifested itself. That individual who is the order follower in our scenario is always, not sometimes, always, 100% of the time, blanket statement. Another thing people hate hearing and they think there's no such thing as a true blanket statement and this is mind control, okay? 100% of the time is the one who is more morally culpable. Uh, it doesn't excuse the order giver as being not morally culpable. They most certainly are, but they are not as morally culpable as the order follower. That is the truth, and we, under, we looked at the reasons why that is the truth last week. So I encouraged people to show that slide to other individuals and try to set off a debate about that, and it won't be hard to do because people have wildly differing views on this, and there are some individuals who understand the correct answer and why, that what I just explained is the correct answer to that question. And there are many people who have a completely uninformed, brainwashed, and mind-controlled opinion about that answer because they've never really sat down and thought about it from a perspective of conscience. They've never really looked at it from a true logical point of view because you could solve this conundrum, seeming conundrum, I should say, with pure logic alone. But if you bring conscience into the equation, if you have an awoken conscience at any level, you could simply look at that image that's behind that question, as I encouraged people to do last week. Contemplate it. Really look at it. Imagine the scenario, regardless of where it is or what time in history that happens to be, and ask the question, who did this? Who actually did the actions? that led to this manifestation in reality. And I guarantee you, it was no one who gave the orders. I guarantee you, it was everyone who followed them, is who did that action, depicted there in slide number five. So with that having been said, let's move on to the real meat of the discussion here today, which is why? And we're going to look at this over many weeks, okay? We're going to look at this in different sections, okay? Why do dominators, or if you will, order followers, why do, whether they're even order givers or followers, why do dominators in general behave in the ways that they behave? Now, one of the first things that, of course, you will need to look at and understand, especially when you're dealing with the high-level dominators, is that, as I talked about earlier on the show, there is such a thing called psychopathy. And there is primary and secondary psychopathy. Today, we'll deal a little bit with looking at what makes a secondary psychopath, but we will not be touching on primary psychopathy. Perhaps I'll do a show on that in the future. But again, that is a small percentage, and it is the exception to the rule, let's call it. Primary psychopaths are so small in number 
that again, their actions could be mitigated easily if we took the vast majority of people who are under secondary psychopathy or not caring and healed those individuals because they are capable of being healed. Secondary psychopathy has a solution. It has a cure. It is possible with great effort, with work, to heal individuals in a state of secondary psychopathy. There is no known cure or reversal for primary psychopathy. It seems to be a genetic disorder or a disorder that is inherent to the human genome, the way our genes currently are written. So to, to, to put a whole lot of time into looking at primary psychopathy, I almost see as pointless. You know, it's like trying to say, why are there lions on the earth? Why are there these types of animals? Why do birds exist? Well, they do. Primary psychopaths exist. We could do a show where we look at the possible potentials of why they exist. It would be quite interesting. And a lot of speculation has been done on that. And that's what a show like that would be. It would be a great deal of speculation as to why that condition exists. The why we're looking at is why do people who aren't primary psychopaths behave the way they do? Keep that in mind. Okay, We're not talking about primary or genetic psychopaths. We're talking about people who currently are in the condition, the psychological condition, that they don't care, that they don't want to know, and that they want control over other people. And this describes the vast, vast majority of police and military personnel which is who we're really talking about here, the order followers, who are the ones who are really ushering in the dark new world order. See, it's called an order for a reason. The people who are trying to bring it in, who are bringing it in, are the followers of that order. And it has nothing to do with genuine order, meaning orderliness. As a matter of fact, it means chaos for everyone. We'll pick this up on the other side. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. So we're just about to get into the, the heart of the topic for today, which is why do dominators behave the way that they do? And I preface this by saying we're not talking about primary psychopaths here there, there are different reasons for why they behave the way they do. So this could apply to the general population. This could apply to secondary psychopaths. And it most certainly applies to all of the individuals who operate in 
positions of, quote, power, positions of, quote, authority. And I put those things in quotes because there's no such thing as power over other individuals. There's only a claim of that. There's no such thing as authority over other individuals. That also only exists as a claim in someone's mind, and then that claim must be accepted in the mind of another individual who doesn't understand reality, who has a religious belief system. Last week, we talked a little bit about the very concept that authority is not only a religion, it's a, it's a, psycho, it's a psychological illness, and people will Upon entering a section like this in general, people will immediately start making claims like, I'm unqualified to speak on the subject because I'm not a clinical uh, psychologist. Okay? And my answer to this is, no, you're absolutely right, I am not. My knowledge goes a lot deeper than 99% of those individuals because it is derived from occult teachings that predate any of those, quote, sciences, okay, and ultimately deals with the human, the science, the true science of the human soul. So I would say I'm eminently more qualified to talk about that, as are other deep occultists who are using occult knowledge for the correct reasons, what it's intended to be used for. And you could even say who are using knowledge that was once occulted for the correct reasons. Because what I'm doing is de-occulting this information. So you could look at me as a light de-occultist. There's a new term for you. Okay? And that knowledge is deeper than anything that's coming out of medical textbooks and scientific textbooks in the modern world. It predates it, it is ancient, and people have been working with this knowledge since time immemorial, and the understanding of this knowledge has actually degraded into what you would call scientific knowledge. Scientific knowledge has pieces of occult knowledge but it, it is not the totality of it. And I would say it doesn't even go as deep as a lot of the understanding that is contained in occult schools goes. So I don't put any stock in somebody just because they have a degree. I listen to what they're actually saying. Just because it's even written in a textbook doesn't make it legitimate, doesn't make it real. The question of who are you going to listen to ultimately has to go down to who has achieved results, what works, what actually creates the manifested reality you want to create. So this is just like talking about addiction and 12-step programs. It's the same thing. We're trying to get people out of an an addiction here. That's what a cycle is. A cyclical pattern of behavior is an, an addiction. So a lot of these 12-step programs and, you know, programs under this guru or that guru, they don't necessarily have the key in hand, the true understanding of why that it became that way, which is what you need if you're going to ultimately change 
that addiction, to break that cycle and free yourself from behaviors that you don't want to currently see because they create more and more chaos and never create true order. So here's in image number six, the mascot for what on earth is happening. Okay, the Merovingian is now the official show mascot. I hope people like that, okay? Because as we talked about, this allegorical, this fictional character in the allegory of the Matrix gives people the deep occult secret, the deepest occult secret, really. He explains to them that causality is everything. That if you don't understand the laws of cause and effect, you have no power. You are powerless to affect change. And that's all the choices really are in our world. That's all they're about. Those with power, those without power. Those who have power to actually affect real change. That's real power. That's where real power lies. Not the illusory power of controlling other people. You don't have the right to do that. You have the right to control your own thoughts, emotions, and actions, and exactly nothing else. Self-control is legitimate and real. That's what real power is ultimately derived from. Self-control, self-love, mastery of self, embracing true selfhood and individuality and sovereignty and the understanding of natural law rights and the rights of all others. Choosing how to behave within that context, within that framework, within those parameters of natural law and deciding the right over the wrong, actually choosing the right over the wrong. That's what the exercise of conscience is, as we talked about on previous shows. So in image number six here, I put the Merovingian up because what we're ultimately doing here is we're trying to get one of those keys that, if you will, the master key is the answer to the question, why? And most people don't want to look that deeply. They want to look at the symptom. They want to look at the actual external circumstance and say, oh, I just don't want that to be that way. Well, good luck to you. Because without understanding why it's that way, you'll never change it. Good luck. Enjoy what you have. It's not going to get any better. If that's your, your level of digging for what, what made it that way. Is you say, I don't, I don't need to know why it got that way. You know what I like in this too? I fix computers for Federal Reserve notes. Since that's what people generally take for food because they're under the mind control that money is real. But I'll fix computers for individuals and I'll sometimes see things that they did to create a problem and say, you know, I could explain why it got this way and perhaps that will not make it happen again. And, you know, I don't have to do that because that could potentially void me a customer. It, it, it could make this customer not experience that problem again and then I won't, be, I won't be needed or called again and I'll make less money. But I still offer to show them. And you know what? Over 75% of the time, the answer that comes back is, I don't want to know. Just fix it. And then, you know, it'll probably happen again and I'll just call you to come and fix it again. And that doesn't make me happy, actually. 
you know, I, I don't really want it to be that way. I would rather the person want to know to, to avoid the problem because I'm genuinely trying to help keep something running smoothly and orderly. I'm not just about the money. I'm trying to do a good job. But over 75% of the time, don't bother me with that. I don't want to know. I don't want to know how it works. Just fix it. And that is almost assuredly going to result in a re-occurrence of the problem, a re-manifestation of the same issue. Because in their knowledge, or I should say, I'm sorry, in their ignorance, in their lack of knowledge of the cause of the problem, they're operating at the plane of effects, never getting to the understanding of why that reality manifested that they don't want, and therefore they're trapped in a cycle. A sigh kill. Yeah, green language. A cycle. Killing of the mind. To do things over and over and over and over again with the same result is does result from the mind being dead, the psyche being dead. Not being in touch with the inner recesses of the human psyche to understand the why. So the Merovingian is our official host for this section. The cycle of violence, the cycle of abuse and victimhood. We'll pick this up on the other side. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We all... I was born A shotgun in my hands Behind the gun I'll make my final stand Yeah And that's why they call me Ladies and gentlemen, this next hour of What on Earth is Happening is brought to you by the Merovingian, the person who challenges and taunts you to understand the why, because without the why, you have no power and you are just another link in the chain. So let's continue. Let's look at what is this cycle, this psi-kill the thing that ultimately crushes the human psyche. And we go around and around and around. This is all about preventing another cycle or another revolution of the great wheel of suffering. I tell people, everything I do on this show is to avert another revolution, another forceful revolution. We need a solution. We need the soul at eye on a solution to be implemented at the soul level of the individual. And only a solution will take us out of the cycle, the revolution of the wheel. We're doing the same thing over and over and over, expecting different results, never looking at the cause, never rising up to the plane of causes to look at the why. Well, if we see behaviors taking place in other people and we want them to change, 
we first of all have to really ask ourselves, are these behaviors present in us? You have to look within first. Because if you're part of the problem, you're not part of the solution. You're helping to perpetuate that dynamic, which is leading to more and more disorder, more and more suffering, more and more chaos. Okay? So the first thing you have to do is be willing to look within and be honest with yourself about what has happened to you, how you've reacted to it, how you've dealt with past trauma, how you've dealt with past situations. Are you in the present moment? A big part of this, of what we'll be getting into, is present moment awareness. This subject ties directly in with present moment awareness on so many different levels. People can't let go of a painful experience that happened in the past. They keep reliving it. They want to somehow make up for it by a new action. It's called transference. You're transferring a traumatic thing that happened in the past. You're projecting it into a new situation. And then you're treating that situation as if somehow doing this kind of destructive behavior here in the present moment is going to make up for that past trauma or it's going to make it right or it's going to rectify it somehow. It, this is flawed logic. It's flawed thinking. This is all because of the unwillingness to accept that which has already occurred. And that which has already occurred, we've talked about many, many, many times, is called truth. Truth is that which has occurred. People don't want to accept truth. They want to make it up. They want to be the arbiters of it. They want to deny it, most of all. So we can't slip into patterns of denial. This is about direct confrontation with what is the embrace of truth. That's the first step we need to make when looking at why certain behaviors are present. We'll take a look at the, the chart that is the hub of this information on the other side of this break. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Oracle Broadcasting. We're just about to get into the crux of the matter for today, which is the abuse victim cycle. Why do people who desire power over other people act the way they do? What made them that way? And the, this is not the entire answer to that question, but it is a big part of it, okay? We're going to look at some other things that contribute to it, but you could say as a general guiding dynamic, the thing that makes them that way is the experience of trauma. And then 
they develop the desire to control because they're trying to regain power that was denied to them during the traumatic experience. They had no power in that situation. They had perhaps had no control at all. And it was done completely against their will. And therefore, they go into a low state of consciousness that is in the R complex of the brain, fight or flight mode. And you're not thinking critically. You're certainly not asking why at that point. You're just reacting. You're not actually taking any action. You're reacting. You're taking reaction. It becomes a stimulus response game at that point. So let's look at this flow chart that I've put together for the show today in image number seven so we can understand how this abuse cycle perpetuates itself. It's almost a, it's almost a, uh, a mechanism that runs itself. That's how insidious this is. It's like, it's like a machine that is so difficult to break out of this pattern. And so few people understand this pattern. So few people have ever looked at this information from a psychological standpoint. At the top of the flow chart, we're talking about situations that involve an abuser and a victim. So I call it, I say this is where traumatic or chronic abuse occurs. The type of abuse does not even have to be for an extended period of time. It could be sudden and traumatic, or it could be chronic. It could be prolonged over a long period of time, whether deliberately or other circumstances just led to the formation of certain conditions and you're trapped in that condition. We're all in a condition of chronic abuse, chronic stress. Okay? Right now, our whole society is a system of chronic stress that is ultimately trying to push us into one of the two negative pathways. As you can see just by glancing at the image, there are two negative pathways and one positive one. The middle pathway that comes off of the top of the flow chart is the solution. But unfortunately, it is taken by the least amount of individuals. And it is very rare for individuals to go down that middle path. Very rare. I would say over 95 or, or greater percent of individuals, that's a, an educated guess, go down the left-hand path or the right-hand path on this flow chart and end up repeating the cycle. So let's take a look at what these negative pathways are and then we'll briefly expand, expand on what the solution is, which is really this whole section of this podcast is the solution of how we need to change ourself and our mind through knowledge. But we'll get to that later. Let's talk about the, the results that are generally seen in the world. The, uh, the uh, vast majority of people manifest these results when chronic 
trauma or abuse is taking place. What occurs in the mind of someone who is the victim of abuse? What actually takes place within their psyche? Often, they're in such a physical, if it's physical abuse, they want to try to make the physical violence go away. Therefore, they may try to escape, and if they are incapable of escaping, they will go into sometimes a psychological condition of an altered state of consciousness. This is a defense mechanism of the mind. We talked about this when we talked about trauma-based mind control and how they dark occultists deliberately try to put people into this physical abusive situation, this physical trauma that they have no ability to escape from because they're being physically held captive and that will fracture the mind into multiple personalities or alters that can then be programmed. When the abuse is physical, the person either attempts to escape, if they can't escape, they might go into an alter, but ultimately, one of the things that is happening underneath the surface of the fight-or-flight mechanism that they inevitably go into, everyone, practically everyone does when there is some kind of trauma or abuse situation present, one of the things that takes place is the beginning of a psychological state known as identification. The person is trying to make some sort of semblance of sense with the events that are taking place that are chaotic and painful, that result in suffering. The mind wants to say, how could I possibly bring a resolution to this? What are my options? So a Hegelian dialectic of sorts be be starts to be formed when in fact these two dialectical choices that most people form within the psyche are both incorrect, they're both wrong, they're both negative pathways. And the positive pathway often never occurs to them simply because they don't have enough knowledge of self. They're not already in possession of enough knowledge of self when the trauma is occurring. Had they been in deep knowledge of self upon the time of the trauma being experienced, they may not choose one of these net two negative pathways of identification. See, the middle path is the path of the true self, the one who has a self, who has not abandoned self. And we're going to see as we move forward on this chart why this applies to people in positions of so-called authority or dominators who think that they have a right to do things to other people that they have no such right. And again, mostly what we're really trying to get to, the heart of it, who we're talking about is military and police. So we'll pick up and continue to expand the ideas on this flowchart in slide number seven on the other side of this break. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening here on Oracle Broadcasting. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
Welcome back, everyone. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. My website, whatonearthishappening.com. We're looking at the abuse victim cycle. Understanding why dominators often behave the way that they do. Why is there this desire for control over other individuals? Why will people continue to do things that are not within the parameters of natural law and inherent rights to other individuals? And it isn't just because they're being paid. That's part of it because that's another religion that they have, the religion of money. That's their God in this world. But a, a, a deeper motivating factor can be understood if we understand the factors that perpetuate the cycle of violence in general. What I call on slide number seven, the abuse victim cycle. So traumatic circumstances or chronic abuse occurs the person goes down one of three pathways almost never taking the middle pathway but going into one of the two extremes the middle pathway leads to healing true healing the um, extreme pathways lead to identification and the two things that someone who is experiencing trauma will choose to identify with one or the other is either the abuser or the victim, the one who is being abused. Think about it. Let's look at a situation with a child, right, who is watching his mother be abused by his father. This is a good example of this form of identification that involves a third party that is an experiencer. Now, I, I, didn't, I didn't put that the person is necessarily the victim. I, I deliberately left uh, that term out of this flowchart because I, I'm calling the person this chart is basically applying to the experiencer of the traumatic circumstances or the experiencer of abuse. You can be a third-party experiencer to abuse, and, and this is a perfect example of it. A child who may not be being abused himself, he's in an abusive environment. The mother of the child is being physically abused by a dominator father, let's say. The child and the mother are both probably going to go into these states of identification with either victimhood or abuser. But the child, moreover, is going to look at the situation if they're old enough to even understand it at all. Even if they're not old enough to really understand it, at the subconscious level, they're going to be already in this state of identification and be making this dichotomous choice. As I say, this is a dialectic at work in the human psyche. They will say, I I'm going to identify with either the abuser, the father, or the victim, the mother, in this situation of abuse or trauma. 
And if the individual in any traumatic circumstance, we could continue with this example of the child looking at someone else being abused or even them being abused themselves, whether it be physical, mental, verbal, emotional, sexual abuse, it applies in, for any of those situations. If the being identifies, the experiencer identifies with the abuser, the one who is doing the wrong, doing the harm, he will often do that because somewhere in the psychological makeup, he's saying, I have two choices. There's two dynamics. There's abuser and, and victim. These are the dynamics that are taking place. Someone doing the abuse, someone receiving the abuse. So the mind, the psyche tries to break down this data by saying, I need to make a choice. I need to identify with one or the other of these roles when both, in fact, are the wrong answer. Okay? And if they identify with the abuser, they're doing that because they have chosen what they have perceived erroneously to be the person who is in the superior position, who is stronger because they were able to do this violence to the other individual. That's flawed, erroneous logic, obviously, but nonetheless, this is how someone who does not have a lot of knowledge, who does not have deep knowledge of self, arrives at uh, an erroneous conclusion. So they have identified with the abuser in this circumstance. Now let's take a look at what happens once someone identifies with the abuser. For whatever deep psychological reasons that occurred, okay, we know that this is a wrong choice just as the, the experiencer becoming identified with the victim would also be a wrong choice. But let's take a look at what the manifested results are upon this false choice on the left being made, okay? The person still has undergone the trauma. That's not, has not changed. So they have residual effects from the trauma. See, once you get out of fight or flight mode, that's not usually the end of trauma. The limbic system, which is where emotions are made possible to be generated and then experienced in the body, it holds on to traumatic circumstances as well and, and exchanges information with the both the higher order brain, the neocortex, which is trying to rationally analyze the situation if that can ever really be done with trauma because it's not a rational act, okay? Abuse is not a rational act. Certain tra traumatic events that happen in nature have, you know, reasons for them that aren't, you know, because of madness of people, but we're leaving that aside for a moment. We're talking about uh, human-generated events here. Um, the limbic brain communicates both with the neocortex or the telencephalon, uh, actually the higher brain, and the lower brain, which is the R-complex. So in, tra in trauma, the R-complex is dominant in fight-or-flight mode, in abusive s situations and circumstances. Therefore, the negative emotions are going to be pr predominant in the neocortical part of the brain. 
In other words, you're going to be experiencing a lot of fear and anger and hatred and what we would call negative emotion. Not necessarily emotions that should never ever exist or be present, but just ones that produce negative situations and things that in the body produce more um, suffering, more illness, more disorder. These negative emotions can be channeled in various ways. They can be truly dealt with through knowledge, most of all knowledge of self, or they can be funneled in two directions, which they probably should not be funneled in. They could be sent outward and directed against other people, or they could be directed inward against the self, not actually dealt with and transmuted, but actually used against oneself. We're going to look at both of these situations as regarding negative emotions on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. You're listening. Welcome back here on Oracle Broadcasting, talking about the abuse victim cycle and what happens when the experiencer of abuse identifies with his abuser. The negative emotions that have built up during the abuse or trauma are usually funneled or channeled into one of two equally erroneous paths. They're not actually dealt with from a perspective of knowledge and willpower. Because this requires higher level knowledge of self. Especially, this is especially true for trauma that takes place during childhood. Because the, the individual has not really had that much experience to take in the knowledge of self. So when this happens during childhood, it's even worse. And unfortunately, that's what has occurred in a lot of people who go into these positions. Police, military, government agents, etc., in a lot of ways, they're all still in a state of childhood because they have not really dealt with this at a psychological adult level, at an emotional adult level, and still don't have the knowledge in hand to be able to deal with the trauma that they've experienced. They need to do a whole lot more work upon the self, a whole lot more digging about the nature of consciousness and reality and self. You have to look in the mirror and most people don't want to do that. But to go back to the negative emotions, they could either be channeled outwardly in which you're then looking for someone else to take 
out this negative emotion upon, or you can channel it inwardly and start looking for ways to do a number on yourself. And a lot of people fall into that category as well. They do abuse to themselves. So when the negative emotions are turned outward, the experiencer of the, the initial trauma becomes like the abuser. I shouldn't have even written becomes abuser. That's almost like somebody might think, well, he is now the abuser and that's his actual self. That's his essence. That, I should have put double quotes around the word becomes. Okay, He takes on the role of abuser now. He has not only identified with it and turned his emotions, his negative emotions, as a result of the initial trauma or abuse outward to other individuals, he has now fully stepped into the role of the abuser and decided, this is how I'm going to live my life and these are the kind of behaviors I'm going to uh, live out in the world. Because I've decided my my... You know, he doesn't know it, but his erroneous choice, his completely wrong choice of the identification with the abuser has told him, well, you have to go out and be the abuser, otherwise this will happen to you again and again. When in fact, he can, can choose to break that cycle, but again, most people fall into one of these left or right pathways and never go down that middle pathway to the solution. So when the experiencer becomes an abuser, right, he could, he could abuse others and he could abuse himself. Either way, he's taking on the role of the abuser. He's going to do abuse at this point. He's going to actually start abusing someone. So he'll do it to whoever's present. And usually, to, if the truth be told, when an experiencer becomes an abuser, and now they are the new abuser, they are abusing both others and self. If you look at any form of abuse, it's, it's both. Because we're all connected. We are all ultimately one at a fundamental level. We're all in the same situation. There's one consciousness here at a fundamental level. As one suffers, all are experiencing suffering. There's just individuals who have not recognized that truth yet, still living on planet Earth. As a matter of fact, they're the majority, the vast majority. So once the experiencer of trauma or abuse steps into the role himself as abuser, he looks for others to abuse, and he can also do a, some abuse to self. Either way, the cycle is perpetuated. It goes to another stage, and now, as he abuses others, they go back to the top of the flow chart, and the cycle starts over again. And therefore, you have more and more accumulation of not only these negative emotions, not only these negative pathways of dealing with those traumatic experiences, but you have more and more abusers and victims being created. So, of course, let's look at the other side. How is the victim created? Well, 
the top of the chart really starts with the victim. It, it's an abuser and victim situation. But trauma, for it to be done to someone, that person has been the victim. They didn't deserve it. It was done to them. You know, and you could look into enabling. There is such a thing as a co-abuse, you know, where the person is actually not really doing anything to get out of the situation. They're allowing it to continue. I would say the American people are co-abusers of themselves. They're not only being abused, their rights are being abused, but they're doing it to themselves at some level by not saying no. And it's ultimately because they don't know their rights. That knowledge isn't there. They don't know what right and wrong actually is. The definitive knowledge of objective right and wrong under natural law. They're certainly not on that middle pathway. They're in this right-hand path where the experiencer of the abuse has identified with the victim, not with the abuser. And if they identify with the victim, they may be doing that because they're saying, well, look at what's being done to this person. They don't deserve that. I would rather be in that situation than the person who's doing the wrong. At least in this situation, they recognize the other, the abuser has no right to do what they're doing. But they're still making an erroneous dialectical choice by identifying with the victim. And that's not to say please don't confuse this with me saying don't sympathize or empathize with a victim. Okay? It, what I'm saying here is they're, they're projecting themselves into the role of victim and saying, if given the choice between abuser and victim, I'll choose the victim. That's what the, that's what the process of identification is. So when the person steps into this identified uh, choice of choosing the victim instead of the abuser, their negative emotions that they've experienced during the trauma are not being directed outwardly, but they're turning them inward upon themselves. So they're still not dealing with the actual situation, the actual trauma, the actual emotions that were generated as a result of that. They're taking all of that, balling it up, keeping it inside themselves, not dealing with it, turning it inward upon themselves. And then what happens as a result of that is they start actually doing abuse to themselves. They become the victim. Now, there's two ways to do abuse to oneself, directly or indirectly. So when the experiencer, quote, becomes the victim, okay, they t step into the role of the victim after this abuse or trauma has taken place to them and they've turned their emotion, their negative emotion inward, they could either do direct abuse to themselves, okay, which they're the victim. See, in that middle one at the bottom, in that middle part of the flow chart at the very bottom, experiencer abuses self. In that instance, they're both the abuser and the victim. That's why they both come together there at that point. And that's what our society is. Abusers and victims. On the far right-hand side underneath, when the experiencer becomes a victim, they could allow themselves to be victimized by others by never standing up for their rights. 
self-loathing is a big part of this. Welcome back, folks. Last segment of What on Earth is Happening for today's show. Time does fly. We're talking about the abuse victim cycle, and we completed the flow chart in the last segment. And what I wanted to reiterate was that anywhere you end up as a result of taking these two pathways at the bottom of this chart, whether an abuser of others, an abuser of self, or one who allows themselves to be abused by others, to be victimized by others, the cycle perpetuates and continues. You have not broken out of that actual cycle. And the suffering and chaos experienced with continued abuse and trauma continues. Only through applied knowledge, care, and willpower can this cycle ever be broken. And it starts with knowledge, ladies and gentlemen. You have to actually have the knowledge of self. You could say, actually, that's even, you could say that that's not correct. It really has to start with care. You have to care enough to want to break the cycle, want to understand enough about the self so that you don't make one of these false choices in this false dichotomy between identifying with the abuser or identifying with the victim. That's the only way that you can get out of this cycle. You have to understand why this cycle perpetuates itself by knowing enough about the human psyche and this false dichotomous choice. Refusing to identify with either the victim or the abuser because you are neither of those at your fundamental essence. The higher self knows that this game should not be played, that all end up being played by it as a result of stepping into either one of these roles, these identifications. You have to say they're both bunk. And I want no part of any of this. I'm not going to play the control game where there's all abusers and victims. I'm going to step outside of it and recognize I am a true, unique individual that is, that is sovereign under natural law rights. And other people also are sovereign as am I. And I have no right to engage in these abusive tendencies that may have been done to me in the past but I'm going not I'm not going to do that to other people so the only way you ever get out of the cycle is by understanding why you have to know what creates this false choice and why 
it only leads to more suffering and the perpetuation of the cycle. Those who don't understand that are going to make one of those false choices and they're going to go right back into the exact same situations, circumstances, and manifested results. Let's look at a couple of quick situations, okay? A boy is beaten by his father throughout his childhood. He identifies with the abuser, the father. His negative emotions about being beaten throughout his childhood ultimately are turned outward against other people. He may become a bully. Okay, then he's going to want to try to take on a role later in life that allows him to continue to channel those negative emotions outward against other people. So he becomes the abuser. He may join the military or the police where he perceives that he's going to be allowed to take out physical aggression on others and therefore he may abuse others externally. So he may go into the army and commit some atrocities under orders that he follows ever so readily because that's all he's being, he wants to do is just being, be unleashed on someone else to take out this pent-up aggression and frustration. And then when he comes home, he may become a cop or a mercenary, right? And continue that, that which he's always known, perhaps the only thing he's always known. Or maybe he'll be, come home after doing those atrocities and at some subconscious level recognizing just how wrong they are, he may go and drink and become an alcoholic and abuse the self. Let's look at an exa another example. How about a child who watches their, par their parent, their mother, be abused by an abusive father? Okay, well, he identifies with the victim, let's say, not the abuser. And then his, let's say it's a female child, right? The negative emotions of seeing this happen turn inward. They become reclusive. They become pent up. They become... Um, isolated, perhaps, maybe even self-loathing, thinking, well, I didn't, couldn't do anything about it, etc. All kinds of thoughts can creep in. But in, in any event, the person takes on a self-loathing attitude and ultimately becomes like the victim. And then they'll either fall into a pattern perhaps will fall into a pattern of self-abuse, maybe through alcohol or drugs, or they will fall into the same pattern and find, you know, uh, um, a significant other that may be abusive and then they s stay in the role as victim because that's all they've known and the cycle repeats itself in their life. This happens so much more frequently than anyone realizes. There's a couple of examples. What about the example where the person who witnessed the trauma identifies with the abuser? Then they will become like an abuser and maybe perpetuate the same abuse in relationships that they have. Child watching his father beat on his mother saying, oh, look, that person's the weaker, this person's the stronger. I need to make sure I don't end up like my mother, I'm going to, you know, step into the role of my abusive father that he, you know, takes on. I'll be more like him because I don't want to end up like mom. 
So his negative emotions are, you know, pent up and he turns them outward on, on other people through this identification. He becomes the abuser in the relationship that he is in. And again, that also goes hand in hand with self-abuse as well because so many of these people who have this kind of uh, mentality, this psychology, drink as well. They become alcoholics. They become drug addicts. And that perpetuates the cycle as well because they're in a state of non-understanding in an imbalanced mind state brought on by the abuse of substance. And they can't break that cycle. Ultimately, see, on image number eight, I put there, this is the flaw that, er that most people step into, regardless of which side of this equation you're on. Since I've suffered... I need to cause suffering in some way. That is the, the absolute wrong, negative, erroneous mindset to take on. I, I didn't have time. I was rushed in getting these image, images up today. I wanted to put jail cell bars across this image to show that this is the mentality of a person who is trapped in a prison cell, in a cage that they're never getting out of as long as they think like that. Maybe I'll do that and repost the image. Okay, but that's the mentality of a slave that can never actually break their chains. The only way, the only way to ultimately break this cycle is to heal the psyche. The psyche is in a psychill. It has been destroyed. If the psyche is healed through knowledge of self, then you will begin to understand why these situations and circumstances not only were created, but are perpetuated. And then you're in a position with that knowledge in hand to break that abuse victim cycle. But not a moment before, until that knowledge is grasped as the key to creating this change in the realm of causality, not in the realm of effects where the abuse and victimhood takes place, but in the understanding of the psyche, which is the causal realm that leads to that negative manifested reality. If we understand the circumstances and situations in the psyche or causal realm that led to that manifestation, then all the power flows into our hands and we're in a position to create great and lasting change. That's all the time we have for this week, folks. I'll see you here next week on What on Earth is Happening right here on Oracle Broadcasting. <laughs>